There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Timmer Kernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan. Follow me on Twitter at T McKernan. Follow this program at Tim McKernan Show. Subscribe to the Tim McKernan Show. Please do. It helps the cause. It really does. I'm, I'm starting to learn why it helps the cause. But all it is is just, and then the, then the show's downloaded to your phone, wherever you podcast, whenever you want. Um, and do that with uh, the Ryan Kelly Morning After at TMASTL. We have all these kinds of products for you. The Cat Chat, all of it's there for you at your listing convenience. Every Sunday night, Monday morning, we have a new guest for you. Every Wednesday, we have questions from the audience in which the audience just asks random questions. There's really no particular format whatsoever. Uh, it seems like Gangster Pete's buddies like to ask a lot of the questions I've noticed. Uh, and they can email them at tmckernan at insidestl.com uh, or DM me on social media at T McKernan on Twitter, Timothy Michael McKernan on Facebook. And, uh, and then we have the pick six podcast, the gambling podcast, uh, where people are paying attention to the weatherman's picks after going 65% against the spread last year. And, uh, he went two and zero in week one. Now, by the time you're hearing this, you will know how he fared in week two, but I am recording it in advance of the week's game. So Hopefully he has continued that momentum because the man is a mastermind of sports wagering. So this week, uh, we had a run of about a month, maybe a month and change, of uh, nothing but blues interviews. And uh, and then we kind of pivoted um, because it was like, okay, we got a lot of blues interviews. And then Joe Buck in the mix and, um, and, uh, and, and Gabe DeArmond in the mix. As we uh, get into football mode, golf mode, baseball mode, and uh, and 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 so before the blue startup camp, which is which is coming up here really quickly, one of my favorite interviews that we did from this whole big blues Stanley Cup championship run was with John Kelly, um, and you know everybody kind of had. I mean, when you're talking about Bobby Plager, when you're talking about. Uh, Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe's former players, Bobby Plager's this legendary alumnus, uh, of course, Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong, Pat Maroon, twice. Um, everybody has their different angle on this um, incredible experience and, and moment for, for St. Louis and for Blues fans uh, everywhere. But John Kelly's goes back to the very beginning because his father was, was on the call um, from nearly the very, very beginning. And, um, his calls are synonymous with blues history in the seventies and eighties. And now John's calls are synonymous for new generations of blues fans. And, uh, John Kelly is about as kind of a human being as you'll come across, uh, incredibly knowledgeable about the game, loves the franchise. And as I recall throughout the Stanley cup playoffs, um, when I would kind of go, yeah, but this has happened before. And so I'm worried that it's going to happen again, because if you can, yeah, now it's, now it's over and it's been a couple of months and it's like, yes, the blues have won the Stanley cup. But if you can take yourself back to what you were feeling, say when they lost game five at home against the stars and we're a, a loss away from elimination or even the, uh, near wraparound by Jamie Ben in game seven against the stars, or being up 3-2 on the Sharks, and it looked like it was obvious that they would have to win that game considering how beat up San Jose was. And I remember texting with Joe Buck that night, and I think we talked about it in that podcast with Joe. Like, this, just they can't win tonight because it would be so un-blues-like. That John was always, he goes, yeah, but this year's different. Yeah, but this year's different. Yeah, but this year's different. And he just felt that way, and you know what? A number of people did as well. And so to get his perspective both from being the son of the blues legendary broadcaster at the outset of the franchise, but also kind of going game by game. And by that emotion by emotion of these high points and low points, not just throughout the playoffs, but also the regular season, what was going on. 
And then to hear just what I would describe as just satisfaction, happiness, joy that he has. Um, so because I, you know, you can picture when, 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 for example, in the parade, you'll hear him talk about it, the float and how, you know, he had his family, extended family on that float and what that meant for him. That's a, that's a different perspective, uh, than many of the people who we've had in had, because, you know, his dad's tied to this organization from the very, very beginning. And he's, uh, you know, been calling games here for a long time. Plus, you know, there's all these incredibly, you know, the Hollywood-esque elements of the Blue Stanley Cup run. Uh, take your pick. Pat Maroon comes home, not going well at the beginning of the season to the point that he's a healthy scratch. And it looks like it might be a big-time mess. And then he gets it going, and then he has this signature win. I think it, at the very least, we would all agree it's a top five goal in Blues history. Uh, I was talking with John Kelly this past weekend, as a matter of fact, and he says the biggest goal in Blues history. Um, either way, that happens. You have the Layla Anderson story that culminates with her lifting the Stanley Cup in Boston. You have Bobby Plager and not being able to watch the games, but being at the games and walking around and pacing and then being able to take the Stanley Cup to his brother's gravesite. Um, you have the worst of firsts. You have the interim coach who everybody bought into. You have all of these elements that that factor into the the story. Um, and and John Kelly is also a part of that story in the sense that John Kelly was done after the first round calling games. And then Chris Kerber, the night. The Blues advanced the Stanley Cup final after beating the Sharks in Game 6. He asks John Kelly to call a period of Stanley Cup game, but not just one time throughout the entire series because he felt like it was the right thing to do to honor the name. I mean, these are just like, like if a 30 for 30 or something of that element were ever done on this, it would be very difficult to condense it to properly tell all of the sub-stories of the organization's run. And this was one of my favorites. I think everybody, whether you're in broadcasting or not, can appreciate it. Um, but what I thought when I heard that, I, get, I think I saw it on Twitter the first time. And a lot of times you're kind of like, oh, I see what the person's doing, but they're doing it for likes and retweets. And it's kind of a, yeah, you're doing it, but I know what you're really doing. You're really like promoting it. And it's not really charity because you want attention for it. And I get it. And I guess the ends justifies the means. But... For Chris Kerber to do it, this was so selfless. I mean, Chris Kerber's been calling Blues games, I think, for close to 20 seasons. I remember interviewing him in 2000 uh, when he got the job. And he's 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 a St. Louisan, and he's dreamed of this moment. And, and, and he gets it, and he gives a third of his call in the Stanley Cup final to John Kelly just because he felt like it was the right thing to do to honor the name and not just a period, every second period of every game. That's, you know, that's something that, that, that will always be in Chris Kerber's bio. And uh, to hear John Kelly tell the story of how that came to pass and his reaction to it is, is one of my favorite elements of this interview. John Kelly is presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark Hanna is online at evergreenstl.com. So many people, especially younger Go, ah, I'm 25, just got out of college, you know, whatever. I'm making this. Maybe I'll save this a little bit. I don't know. Who cares? 401k, I don't even understand it. I got a match. Okay, what's that matter? Who cares? Because it seems like retirement is something that exists in another galaxy. And then I can tell you as somebody who then hits 40 and you go, oh, this retirement thing, it's still a decent ways away, but now I got to actually pay attention to it and you have a family and you go, wow, I really wish I would have not, not going, okay, I'm going to set aside half my paycheck. Not that, but it just, you build it and then you, it compounds. And I remember hearing that stuff in my early twenties and going, oh, well, who cares? What do I, how does it matter? And now I'm like, why didn't I do that? Well, that's what Mark Hanna of Evergreenwell Strategies can put you on the right track to do. He's online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreenwell Strategies, our guest presenting sponsor here on the Tim McKernan Show. John was kind enough to come into the homeloanexpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsor, he's online at the homeloanexpert.com. And if you're buying a home, as a number of people clearly are, 
uh, you go to thehomeloanexpert.com and you'll see the little tab, Purchase. If you're refinancing because home values are as high as they are and interest rates are as low as they are, you'll see that tab. And away you go. And now you're working with the best in the business. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. He's been our studio sponsor since we started this thing 23 months ago. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, the sponsor of our studio. Support the sponsors. They make the podcast possible. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to present to you by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Blues broadcaster, John Kelly. John, welcome back to the podcast, <laughs> a return engagement, but under different circumstances, you have drank from the chalice, sir. Now, you've, of course, been part of two organi- two championships before, but you never drank from the chalice, and I saw your son tweet that out, and I yep. it. That was great. It was an amazing experience, Tim. Um, you know, I did a lot of interviews in the playoffs, uh, you know, some with you and, uh-huh. and others on your radio station, and... I think the number one question to me was, you know, what would it feel like to see the Blues win the Stanley Cup? What would it be like to experience a parade? And at the time, I didn't know. I mean, until you do it, you just don't know. And now that I've seen the Blues go through the process in the way they did uh, to win in a game seven in Boston and to go to the parade and, you know, ride in the parade with the other broadcasters, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Wow. Period. Wow. It was actually better than I thought it would be, even though I had no idea what to visualize. I feel like the reaction, I feel like the community, we're sitting here, it's been 15 days since they won, and I still feel like the community's on a high from it. You know, I think it was bigger and better. And what drove that home to me, I'm sure you had a variety of different experiences, was the reaction of the city and the people around the building after they won game four to even the series. It was the first time they'd won a Stanley Cup final game in St. Louis. They had won game two in Boston. And I felt like the reaction was like they had won a championship that night. And that drove home to me, if they actually win this thing, this is going to be bigger than we even anticipated. I don't know if there was a moment for you before they actually did it where you're like, this thing is, this thing might be bigger than we might have thought it was going to be. Yeah, I don't know, aside from the last game, in the last 10 seconds, you know, was that moment bigger than Gunnarsson's goal in Game 2, right. their first ever win in the final. Was that goal bigger than Maroon's goal in double overtime yeah. in Game 7? Or Schwartz's goal in Game 5 with 15 seconds left to make it 3-2? There, there were so many pivotal goals and moments, Tim. Um, so I don't, I don't know if Game 4 was the moment. Um, you know, I think in the, in the final, aside from the last game, to me the Gunnarsson goal was the goal that really gave this team a lot of confidence. And I think it really, it it really, I didn't say energized the fan base, but I think Blues fans really felt that they had a really good chance to win the Cup after tying the series. Because if they go down 2-0, it's a really, really tough hill to climb. Yeah. I, I, I like, I, I just, it just gives me a high just to look back on the season because this was two months. I mean, 26 games of every Tied other night. NHL record, by the way. Oh, is that right? Most, most playoff games ever played. I did not know Tied that. Tied an NHL record. Wow. And you think about it, you can do the math. Sure. It's roughly 30% of a regular season. Yeah. It's I amazing. mean, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, too shy of the max and went through some incredible teams, too. It's not like there were, you know, and that's no disrespect to Boston's road, but I mean, you know. Yeah, our road is a lot harder. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> I'll exactly, tell you that exactly right, right now. But we're now, we're now let's go back to October, November, and December, and you're seeing it. Uh, you're, you're, you're there with Darren Pang and you're observing this. Now, I had a weird thing and there was the story about the guy, um, who, who put the bet on the blues and won a hundred grand on him. And when, when I was watching them play and my knowledge of hockey is like, you know, I mean, one millionth of yours, but when I'm watching them play, I'm thinking, I don't think they're that bad. Not that I think they're going to win the cup, but I felt like there'd be value as we talk about in our world. Uh, <laughs> in the gambling world. In the gambling world. That, you know, if the Blues were like 100 to 1, I might throw 100 bucks on that just for the hell of it. Just because I, and then I went and I looked on a site and they were like 35 to 1. I go, 35 to 1. They're like one of the worst teams statistically right now, anyway, in the league. And I was surprised by that. But I didn't think they were that bad. So you're observing games. You've called games, of course, both for the Blues and the Avalanche. And now all these years with the Blues. What were you seeing? What were you hearing when you were around the team, around the coaches? Obviously, there's a coaching change. What are are you thinking as you observe this team play before it turned around? 
You know, it, it's it was one of those um, periods that you just couldn't make sense of it, Tim, because going into the season, they had such a strong team on paper. They really did. Mm-hmm. And, and then they were just so inconsistent. Um, but they might lose six to one at home and then they might go to Toronto and win four to one or, or they might, you know, win in Colorado when Colorado was a red hot team. So just when you thought this team might fall off the rails and be done, they'd play a great game. Yeah. So I never gave up hope. Now, did I think at that time they'd win the cup? Of course not. But I always felt that if they could get hot, and this was after the coaching change, when they started to play a lot better defensively. Yeah. And I think that, in hindsight, if you look at um, Mike Yo's season, he, he was fired just before Thanksgiving. So basically two months, they were not a good defensive team. They were just a bad defensive team. And I don't know why. Um, was it the, the structure, um, you know, the play of certain players? But Barubi came in and fixed their system, and they started to play better defensively. Although in the first six weeks, Barubi's record was not, right. you know, he didn't start off 12-2. and two. Right. I think I read somewhere yesterday he, he started 5-7-1 and one or something. But they were playing better. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your question, it, it was just one of those things that you just couldn't, understand tim they were a good team and they win big games yet they would have these lows that were lower than you'd ever thought was possible so you never gave up hope but at the same time you didn't know when it would turn around as it as it turned out it turned around in january the blues digital media team which does an incredible job uh and uh the quest for the cup i I don't know if you watched that on espn plus uh which is such good production of all the behind the scenes throughout the stanley cup playoffs the way Baruby carries himself, it seems to me that there is a, a directness, a bluntness that the team appreciates. And I'm comparing and contrasting, you know, edited clips from take your pick of other coaches throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it just seemed like he had a way that the guys bought in. Was that your read? And if so, why do you think the guys bought in? I think they bought in because... Number one, he has a lot of credibility, and he has a presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you've met Craig. Mm-hmm. He has got a presence. He's a big man. Um, Who did it for a number of years. He had and was invited back to teams when a lot of guys, once they're right. off my team, they don't come back. Right. Um, but he walked the walk, Tim. I mm-hmm. mean, this is a guy that had over 3,000 PIMS, and he told me one day that he fought Probert six times in his career. <laughs> and I said, and you live to tell about it. Um but he had a presence. And, you know, I think, you know, in talking to players over the years, the one thing they always say about a coach is they want honesty. And if nothing else, Craig Bruby is honest. Mm-hmm. And as you said, there there's no gray area. He'll, he'll call a player in and just say, you're not playing well. And the player might argue with him. He might go to video. And Bruby just says, no, you're not playing well. So he got he got the attention. He had the credibility. And then slowly but surely, he got them to play better as a team, a better team game. And I think the the other thing, Tim, is that certain players had to check their egos. I mean, just because you played on the power play two years ago or you were on the top line in another club a year ago doesn't mean that you're going to have the, the same benefits to this year's mm-hmm. club because they had they had a lot of talent. So I think the players had to realize that the roles could be different, and it took a while, but I think they checked their egos and they accepted the roles. Jordan Bennington makes that that first start. What did you know about him at the time? I didn't know a whole lot. I mean, we had only seen him play a few preseason games. He he was a backup once or twice, and that's it. Um, You know, as a matter of fact, I saw the Rampage play a game in Winnipeg in October, because the Blues were in Winnipeg, had an off day, and the Rampage played the, the Winnipeg's farm, Winnipeg's farm club um, in, in Winnipeg, and he wasn't even playing. Huso was the goalie. Wow. As a matter of fact, Huso started something like ten of the first twelve games with the Rampage, and they got off to a bad start, and he they turned to Bennington, and then Huso got hurt, and Bennington turned their season around. They mm-hmm. missed the playoffs, but they had a pretty good second half. Mm-hmm. So. To answer your question, I didn't know much about him. We just hadn't seen him. I just yeah. knew he was a 
you know, sort of a tall, skinny goalie who had never had a chance. And I had Cam Jansen and Reed Lowen here. We were talking about the domino effect a team can get from quality goaltending because it gives them confidence that if they slip up, there is a net that is going to protect them from the puck going into the net. And they felt like that was the chain reaction that got things going in January. What's your assessment? I think so. There's no question. And, you know, if you look at the goaltending in the first half, it was inconsistent. And for whatever reason, Jake struggled at home. He yeah. was he was really good on the road. But I, I a lot of nights, um, they would give up a goal at home, and you could just sort of see the bench shrug their shoulder shoulders mm-hmm. or you could you could feel the energy leave the building um but once Bennington came in and started to play like the way he did it gave the team so much more confidence and I think Tim if you look at the way the Blues play you know I know they're a four-line team with pretty good physicality but their defense is also very active uh, I think they had the second highest scoring defense in the NHL. So, yeah. you know, they take chances, but that's the way you have to play in today's game. And that's the way this club needs to play to generate goals. It's not like this team was obviously like the 85 Oilers or, or whatever. They they didn't have, you know, seven or eight superstars that, that scored 50 goals. They were a four-line team. So their defense had to be involved, and they were. And when you play that way, you're going to give up some chances. And then Bennington, he he gave him that confidence and the great goaltending that you have to have. As you said, sometimes when you're taking chances, you're going to give up chances. And they're playing really well. They're a point away from winning the division, which is amazing considering where they were famously on January 3rd. Having called as many seasons as you have uh, with some great teams, of course, some cup winners, I recall you being on 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 the Ryan Kelly morning after and saying it's just it's just different this year. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of written in the stars, so to speak. You know, when were you feeling? Because we were saying the same. I mean, I know Doug and I were, but we really felt that way. We weren't just saying it for the hell of it. We really felt that way. But I, you know, we were coming maybe from an inclination standpoint. What was your feeling going into the Winnipeg series regarding the poss not the possibility because we know what the possibility is, but how likely the possibility was that this was going to be a deep run? Because Winnipeg's a challenging opponent to start with here, and it's not like you're you're easing into things. No. As a matter of fact, I think on paper, Winnipeg was the best team the Blues played in the in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Really solid team. But I had heard rumblings that there was some dissension on that team, and they did not play well down the stretch. Yeah. They blew a lot of leads down the stretch. Conversely, the Blues were playing really well, as we know. I mean, they had never lost more than three in a row all season, even in their darkest days in October, November, yeah. December. Um, but under Barubi, you know, in the second half, that team was rolling. So I, I felt they had a had a good chance to win the series, but it wasn't a lock by any means. Right. And I felt Winnipeg on paper was a really tough challenge. And it's interesting that you mentioned Winnipeg blowing leads because I, I, it might have happened in Game 2, but for sure in Game 1 and famously in Game 5 in Winnipeg, they had the lead and the Blues came back and won both those games. It might have also happened in Game 2. In game 1, they were down one nothing, um in the third period. They they scored a couple of goals, yeah. I believe. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that was an October. I know, I know, as we talk about it now. But I always look back at Game 5. There was a play, and you're on the call, this one, with that first round. And I can't recall who it was. You might know where he's Winnipeg's about to go up 3-0. Mm-hmm. And one of their forwards, as the puck's going in. Kevin Hayes. That's who it was. And he cleared the puck that was, I mean, what, three inches from crossing the I know. line. I mean, what a moment. And, you know, Tim, you look back at, at moments like that, and I have not looked at all the highlights of every game. But you look at that play, you look at the Jamie Ben wraparound and double oh, overtime. Yeah, yeah. I was I was in the suite, the Fox suite at that end. And if you look at that replay, that puck was was at half an inch from the line. And if Bennington doesn't get his pad down at the last second, the game's over. Yeah. So you look at plays like that, and obviously the Schwartz goal in game five, and obviously the Maroon goal. There were so many defining moments. And I really felt after the Maroon goal to win the second round, I felt this team was destined to to hopefully win a cup. Mm-hmm. Now, w- was I for sure? Of course not. Right. But to me, there were so many special moments. And as you said, it almost felt like 
there was divine intervention from somebody yeah. or some people that this might be the year. And as it turned out, it was. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with blues broadcaster, John Kelly here on the Tim McKernan show. We're in the home loan studios, and we are talking it over with the great broadcaster as we go down memory lane on the blues run and his experiences throughout. And none of this is possible without our sponsors. You got the home loan You got Mark Hanna, evergreen wealth strategies. You got Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, Chevy, find new roads. And you got design air heating and cooling online at designairservice.com. The number one train dealer in the West. It's hard to stop a train. And James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800. 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. You'll be very happy that you did. I know I can say that I am very happy that I did because he is now my insurance agent. And um, it's, it's kind of like with a financial advisor. I think initially people just kind of take like friends who are getting into the business and you just kind of just go along. And then all of a sudden it hits you. It's like, oh, I really need somebody who's, who's on top of this. And that's James Carlton. And it thrills me to hear when James and I get together for lunch, how many people have made the switch. It just makes me feel good. Now, first off, it makes me feel good because he's an advertiser and I want to, I want to deliver a return on investment for him. But secondly, I know the listeners who have switched to him are in now better shape because they're with James Carlton. That's important to me. And those of you who have made the switch, I bet you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who haven't, I'm telling you, I'm not just saying this. It's like, it's this is what I did. This is what me and my wife did. We switched to James Carlton. You can do so, and they do all the paperwork for you. 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. The Blues in Game 7 against the Stars would have been the textbook. Oh, they dominated the game. They had a Game 7 at home. This was the year. And then they, what, because they outshout them, something was absurd. Crazy. And then they wind up losing. And instead, you have the hometown kid, of course, winning that thing. And that launched people into absolute mania. And even though it's only three years removed from what happened against San Jose in the Western Conference Finals, I felt like this took it to another level. For whatever reason, I don't know, because you had the famous Brower goal, you're calling the Brower goal in 2016. For whatever reason, I felt like there was more belief this year. I guess it's easy to say because we know the outcome, but I don't know. I just felt like there was more belief that this was real. And keep in mind, they lost game one against the Sharks. But everybody, I felt, I remember tweeting it out and getting like 4,000 votes do you think the Blues are going to win game two? And like 75% were like, yes. Yeah. That just wasn't the mindset of the Blues fan in years past. You were always waiting for the shoe to drop. And this year is like, they're going to be fine. Yeah. I felt like after they beat Dallas that they would beat San Jose. And I felt that they had a better team than in 16. Mm-hmm. And they lost in six games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was San Jose a better team? Uh, maybe. I mean, they didn't have Carlson. Um, Timo Meyer wasn't there really good young player, but I felt the Blues were a much better team this year than they yeah, were in 16. 16. I really did. Yeah. And as it turns out, if you look at that series, they just rolled over the Sharks. They should have won in five. Yeah. They really should have. Yeah. Everyone looks at the hand pass goal. Well, the Sharks tied the game with the goalie off. They, mm-hmm. The Blues should have never let it right. get into overtime. Right. They should have won in five. And by... By game six, you know, you saw the game. The Sharks were just, oh, yeah. they were it's in like pieces. A, it was like a minor league team. Yeah, yeah, they were in pieces. So they were just a better team. And, yeah. and I felt going into the series that had a really good chance to win the series. One of the things I loved about that series, if anything, it's the highlight. And there's a, there, the post game after the hand pass game is Carlson, Thornton, and Burns, if I'm not mistaken. And Carlson, you know, I mean, what are they going to say? I understand. But he's like, well, we weren't playing handball out there. Right. And I'm just like, if I know this group of blues, the way I think they work, they're going to be like, okay, screw these guys. We yeah. know we're better. We outplayed them in game three anyway. Yeah. We're just going to run them, and they're not going to win another game. This is over in six. <laughs> and that's yeah. exactly what they didn't, happened. They didn't lose another yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they ran them, too. They you know, beat the hell out of them. As it turned out, Tim, I think it really galvanized the team. And the hand pass game did? I really do. I think it really pissed them off, Yeah, and it should have. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're not losing. Yeah. We are not losing this series. And as it turned out, they didn't lose another game. So they get back. I mean, that night I was there with my dad. I was there with my wife. And to see the team go to the Stanley Cup final at home, an incredible night. What is that night like for, for you and your family? You know, this is, this is, this is, this is the Kelly name here. I mean, this is, this is a bigger, this is, this is something that I, 
I was thinking about throughout. It's like, you know, Bobby Plager's in with Frank Cusimano right now doing it. I was, I was always thinking about Plagers and, and Kelly's and obviously the name of the alumni are so prominent in town, but there are some names synonymous with this that I think about. So what was that night like for you where they're going back for the first time? It was a special night. It, it really was. Uh, my entire family was there. Um, you know, we watched the handshake line. I did post game work for Fox Sports Midwest. And then the Blues had um, a private party in one of the clubs, mm-hmm. and they had the Western Conference Championship trophy in there. And we went in there and took pictures with it and um, celebrated and had a few cold ones. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a really special night. But, um, you know, I thought about it a lot. You know, my my dad, he called the Blues for uh, their second and third trips to the finals. He wasn't here the first year. Jack right. Buck did the games, as you know. Um, so to think about, you know, back then, my dad probably felt that, oh, man, this is easy. Right. You know, we go to the final every year. And lo and behold, they don't go back for 49 years. So, you know, I thought about that. And, um, you know, mainly I was so happy for the fans because you could you could just feel it in the building, Tim, how happy they were and, and how badly this team, they wanted this team to win a Stanley Cup. And now... They knew after the San Jose series, they were four wins away. I know. The goal, there was a goal in the third period. I can't recall who scored it. Um, and at that moment, because it still was a little tight. San yeah. Jose had a nice push at the start of that third period. Yeah, they were dominating, actually. They were. Uh, yeah. And and I'm like, oh, my God, no, 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 no. I think it was 3-1, and you're, maybe Bozak's goal to make it 4-1. I think it was. And Couture had a breakaway, yep. an opportunity, and Bennington made a big save, and then the Blues scored a few minutes later. Yep. And then at that moment, I think people were like, this is really going to happen. And yep. It became a countdown and a celebration, right. which was so incredible. And then all of these things are attached to it on top of it. You know, I mean, that's the thing about this. It wasn't just a great hockey team. It was a team that was in last place. Hockey players in general likable, but a lot of personalities emerged, who you probably already knew were great personalities, but you knew about the Layla Anderson story and what went on with, mm-hmm. with her and her presence with the team. Uh, video of Bobby Plager walking around because you can't watch the game. People became aware of that, which yeah. you guys knew about, I'm sure, forever, but that he couldn't watch games. And then... Chris Kerber comes to you and says, I want you to call the second period of, of the Stanley Cup final games. I'm telling you. I mean, so often I'm like, okay, somebody did this, but this is what's in it for them. And I know it's not going to get, you know, it's still, the, the ends justifies the means. But this is like the most selfless gesture and an appreciation of history. It was perfect. So how did it all come to pass? Well, it actually came to pass in that in that party room after game six against San Jose. Um, as I said, I was in there with my wife and kids, and and Chris was in there with his family. There were, you know, 100 people in there, employees and, and, and executives. And Chris just came up to me and said, John, I want you to call a game, um, a period in every game of the final. And my reaction was, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not my job. It's your job. And he said, John, it's not an option for you. He insisted. And... Jennifer, my wife, was there, and she was she was all but crying. And I called my mom the next day, and she was just over the moon. And it, it, yeah, the word that comes to mind to me, Tim, is unprecedented because it's never been done before mm-hmm. that I know of, where a radio announcer has said you're going to do part of the Stanley Cup final right. or any championship. So you know, it's it was unprecedented. And I am forever grateful for Chris for making that gesture. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and initially I thought it was one period, like per, the second period of game one. I'm like, right. what a great, the great anyway. Great anyway. It was that it was second period of all seven games. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's just right. something else. And, and and how much different is it calling on radio versus television? I mean, there's there's some elements to that, I would imagine, that have yeah. to be, you have to be cognizant of that, of course, the people listening are most likely not viewing unless they've, you know, are not big Doc Emmerich fans, and there aren't a lot of those. <laughs> no. And by that, I mean not a lot of people who are not fans of Doc Emmerich. Yeah, obviously you're you're way more descriptive. Yeah. But, you know, Tim, I came up in radio. I did six years in the American Hockey League where I did 80 games a year on radio with no color man, and I was the engineer. Oh, oh God. So, well, those are the fun days of early broadcasting. Right. <laughs> and then I, I, I did some some games in Tampa Bay when I was there on radio. But I'm not going to say that it was seamless. It, it, it's a bit of a, it, it's a different uh, challenge, 
Um, and it's also unique to come in in the second period. Right. Right. But, you know, you, 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 you just are coming in and the first period's over. And, but I would listen. I would sit next to Chris and, and Joey in the first period so I could hear everything they said. Mm-hmm. So I didn't repeat if, if they gave a stat or a, a quick anecdote or whatever, I didn't repeat that. Right. right because right, right, I'm right. there every day like they are. Right. Getting ready for the games and things like that. So it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Although I must admit in, in my seven, Second periods, I, I was a minus player. I, 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 <laughs> you know what? I, I, I knew you were coming in. I'm like, what did he have in the second periods of the, that of the game? And I'm trying to think. I'm like, okay, nothing really doing in the first two no. games. Game three was a debacle. I felt like they got up early with O'Reilly's wraparound in game four. Yeah, that was game, the first period, though. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, game five, it was more famous with the Bozak no call and the Perron goal. That was third period. Game six was a debacle. No goals there. Yeah, I did call, I believe in game uh, five, O'Reilly made it one nothing. That early, was the second period? Early in the second okay. on that backhand goal. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but then, as you said, Perron got the winner in the third on that controversial that's goal. Exactly but you know what? Bad. I'm just having fun. Oh, I, was, yeah. I, was a, I was a minus announcer, but it was the, it was <laughs> but, the greatest thrill drank, of my life. Yeah, but you drank from the I drank from the cup after done. game seven. It was all said and done. So <laughs> let, I, wanna, I, I happened to see you. I don't know if you remember this, by the way. Uh, before game six. I do. You were there with, with Anne-Marie. And, uh, Anne-Marie and, and, and uh, young Paige views in his chinchilla. Yes. Who was about to appear on the Fox Mike Sports. Mike Tirico walked by. That's the thing. So I was talking what to you. What a nice guy, by I the way. Know. So what I know. What a nice guy. That's where I was going with it. Uh, we were talking, and then Mike Tirico walks by, because we're all by the sets of Fox Sports Midwest and NBC, and you said hello, and then you guys wound up talking for a few minutes, and I felt like he was saying some very kind things. I didn't like, yeah, I was over there with the chinchilla. I've got, I've got, <laughs> I got other things I'm dealing with. But what was, what would, Mike obviously had an appreciation for the significance of this for you and your family. Yeah, he, he knew, he knew of my dad, and I don't think he ever met him, but, uh, he said great things about him. And actually, I complimented him. I said, Mike, I can't believe what a great job you did, um, doing a few games on NBC SN when you had never done hockey before. And I, I, I meant it from my heart um, because I know how challenging it is to call play-by-play. Yeah. And here's a guy that comes in in the middle of the season. And, again, I don't know if he had ever done hockey, period, in any at any level. And I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. So I just, I just complimented him, and he was so nice and gracious. And um, as I said, he... He, he mentioned my dad and, and things like that. And so it was a nice conversation. We had a lot of stories from listeners who somehow crossed paths with take your pick of somebody on the NBC crew, whether it be production people or on air. And they were so complimentary of the St. Louis experience and the Blues fan base, but in, in, in a sincere way, not kind of the, the gratuitous, these fans here, they were really, and not to say that they were polling for them, but they realized from being on the ground here how much this meant to this region. And I thought that was... I mean, I guess it's obvious. I mean, I don't know if there's an NHL city you could pick where it really wouldn't matter. I mean, I don't know how much it would matter to the people of Phoenix, for example. But here it, it mattered so much, and they could tell that. And so everything is set up. I think people came to the Enterprise Center for Game 6 thinking that there was going to be this was the night. I know yep. I certainly did, uh, and I certainly was hopeful that it was going to. And unfortunately... You know, I think once the second goal that was kind of the, the knuckle puck that got yeah. past Bennington, it's like the arrow was out of the building uh, after a few attempts, and Rask had an incredible night. And then not only are people going, it was twofold, I felt like. Number one, we thought we were going to see the cup tonight. Now it's a realization that we're not. And, oh, God, we've got to go back in, you know, what would be three nights to Boston and play a game seven with everything on the and line. And win your third game on the road to yes. the final. Yes. Not easy. That was it. I mean, walking out of there. I was I was really down. Yeah. I was really down, but yet I had a weird thing. I felt like I, for whatever reason, felt like they were going to lose Game Six. I thought Boston was going to be on tilt over what happened at the end of, not end of, but in the middle of the third period of Game Five, kind of like the Blues being on tilt over the Carlson hand pass, right? And they were going to respond, but I felt like the Blues would win Game Seven, which was obviously not something most people would have. I think Boston was minus one eighty. I mean, they were a big favorite in right. that thing. What were you thinking on the night of Game 6 as it comes to a close? Not much drama, although there were plenty of Blues fans who stuck around and said, let's go Blues at the end, and they were cheering. But what were you thinking? Well, it was extremely disappointing yeah. because it was all set up. It, it was almost too good to be true, 
right? No. They had clinched the first three series at home, don't forget. No. And, six, and that's seven, unusual six, yeah. to, to see three handshakes in your building and now a potential fourth with the cup coming on the ice for the first time ever in 52 years. It was almost too good to be true. There were 18,000 in the building, as you know. I don't know, 30,000, 40,000 yeah. in the watch party yeah. outside. And, you know, the air went out of the balloon. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they played a terrible game, Tim. It was a misleading game. It was one nothing after, one nothing two, after two, yeah. a five-on-three goal by Marchand, and the Blues were 0 for 4 on the power play. And then the bad second goal that, that bounced by Bennington. So, yeah, I was disappointed, and I remember walking out with my wife and, and, and a couple of my kids, and I didn't say a whole lot. And, yeah. You know, it, it was really disappointing. I, I wanted them to win that cup that night mm-hmm. for the fans of St. Louis. That sums it up perfectly. And it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't give up. I just felt that this team was destined to win at that point. And they were too good a team on the road. Bennington was too good a, a bounce back goalie, and that's what happened. Anything you see or hear in those two? Because again, it wasn't you know it was that that made it tougher too. You had two days in between. You had Monday and Tuesday, then Game Seven. Yeah, it on, seemed on like Wednesday. the final went off for a month. Oh, really oh my did. god! <laughs> <laughs> did you see anything or hear anything or talk to anybody leading into that that stands out to you now that you look back and we know what wound up happening? You go, you know what? Because they show that Baruby speech on Quest for the Cup, and it was perfect. I mean, it was not as dramatic and as loquacious as the one that Herb Brooks is portrayed right. as having a miracle, but it was very direct. You belong here. You're a good because you're a good hockey team. Now go out there and win it, or you're you're going home with the cup, or something like that. Right. And Cassidy didn't. I didn't feel like it really resonated. It's like they were kind of trying to tell themselves because Bergeron had a, apparently a famous speech before Game Six. I mean, speeches only get you so far. I'm sure a lot of people have made great speeches and lost games. Um, but anything that you noticed leading into that that Wednesday night in Boston that that now you look back on, you go, yeah, now that I see that, I feel like these guys were in a good state of mind or a good place or. Nothing that is really significant, uh, but I think that, that Baruby addressed game six immediately after the game and was spot on. You know, it was one game, our power play didn't get it done. I'm paraphrasing here. Right. And now we come, come down to one game for the cup. Yeah. If and, you told me back in January right. we'd have one game for the Stanley Cup, I'd yeah, take it. Sign me up. It's kind of the same way you handled the hand pass game. Exactly. I thought you could like you couldn't read from a textbook handling something like that right afterwards. Exactly. Better. Yeah. And and conversely, um I thought that uh Cassidy and I, I've met Cassidy and he's actually great friends with Darren Pang. He went to high school with Darren or Yeah, really? he, he actually played professionally with Darren on three different teams in the American League and then also with the Blackhawks. But I don't think they handled Game 5 very well. They were were crying for two days about Game Mm -hmm. 5. Now they won Game 6, so I guess it doesn't matter. But I felt that Berube, after the game, handled it well. And the next day we flew to Boston um, late in the afternoon, and it was just business as usual. It was like flying to Phoenix for a game in December. It was just... Okay, it's one game. And then they were businesslike at practice the day before Game 7. Um, you know, the day of the game, it was the same. Morning skate, Blues skated after Boston, and the players and the coaches all said the right thing. So they just treated it like another big game, another road game. We all know it wasn't another game. Right. It was Game 7 for the Cup. Um, but I think that as a group, they handled it very well, and they prepared the right way. And looking back, they won the game the way they had to win it. Yeah. They, they got great goaltending in the first period. Bennington stood on his head, and they got a couple of, of I don't want to say unlikely goals, but certainly goals that were not goals that Rask would normally give up. Mm-hmm. I mean, the tip in between the legs and the Petrangelo goal when Marshan made the the inexplicable line change right. with 10 seconds left. <laughs> so, you know, you skate off with a 2 nothing lead, and you're, oh, you felt like believe... you robbed a bank oh, and got away with it. I'm and that's you. what happened. I mean, that was on the first 15 minutes. I guess the first three minutes, the Blues were out playing them. But then from about yeah. three minutes in for the next, like, 14 minutes, it was just like you're just going, oh, my God, oh, my God, a save after save yep. after save. And the Blues, I think, had one shot, and they held on to having one shot maybe until the actual goal. Um, yeah, they the finished with four shots in the period. Half of which and right. scored two goals. <laughs> yeah. So, so I can't imagine, and you were there. And what, I would what it was actually, like, I was, like I said, I was standing next to Chris Kerber, uh-huh. and, and the radio position 
um, in Boston because of all the media was basically on that goal line. I was standing. Okay. I right. was standing at that end of the rink. The Bennington end or the Raskin? The Bennington end. Okay. And I was just like, I, I was turning to our stat guy, Dave Otto, and I was like, wow, my God, what a save. And it just kept happening. They should have scored, you know, regardless of how many goals you think the Blues should have had in the first period, Boston should have had four goals. Yeah. It should have been either four, two, four, one, or four, nothing after one. It Instead, was, it was two, nothing. It was un. Real. And as far, you know, we talk about momentum so often. It's the natural element of, of a playoff series. Baseball, hockey, basketball. I feel like whoever loses feels like, oh, God, we're going to lose the series. And whoever wins feels like, oh, my God, we're going to win the whole thing. Because you have 48 hours to sit there and analyze it. And you get too high with the high and too low with the lows. But as far as momentum goes, I can't imagine the feeling in the Boston room following the first period after outplaying them like they did, peppering Bennington like they did, and then they go in down to nothing. As great as the first goal was to give up the second one to Petrangelo, especially self-inflicted with Marshawn, yeah. with 7.9 left. And they show that in Quest for the Cup. And like Char is trying to say stuff. And it's just like, they're like, what are we going to do here? Yeah. You know? And it was even more on the period you called. I felt like it was a Floyd Mayweather fight, uh, which I realize is an analogy that might not make a lot of sense to people. But it was like they were just pointing them to death. Mm-hmm. In the second period, Boston was trying, and then as Cam said, he goes, then the Blues would send the puck down, and then he goes, you have no idea how deflating it is. You have to come back down the ice, try a couple things, and then have it sent right back down. And it was there, they were pointing them to death. I mean, yeah. they just dominated it, not by scoring, but just by outplaying them and playing their game. And yeah. Boston was deflated. And playing four lines yeah. and basically six defense. And, if you know, when I look back at the way the Blues team played, especially in the last – 40 games in the playoffs. I don't know if I have ever seen a team check harder than mm. the Blues. And I mean four check harder, back check harder, and check better in your own zone. They were relentless in all three zones. And if you look at the last two periods of Game 7, it was textbook yeah. the way the Blues checked. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, as you said, after it was two zip, after one, and in the second period... It was basically an even second period. The Blues hit the crossbar. They almost yeah. went up 3 yeah, and yeah. then Schwartz hit the crossbar. They got really lucky. But the Bruins couldn't get to the inside. They could not get to the inside in, in the blue zone. And that's the way the Blues played. I mean, it was layers in their own zone. And that's assuming they got out of their own zone right. and through the neutral zone. Right. Tim, I'm telling you, this team checked. I think going back in NHL, you know, the history and, and cup winners – the last team to me that checked that well was the 95 Devils, the trap teams under Jacques. Yeah. Lemaire. When they swept Detroit in the last, in the final, Detroit was a heavy favorite in 95 and they got swept by the Devils. And to me, the, the Blues checking game was the best checking, um, display and team that I've seen since the 95 Devils. Statistically, seeing that they won five and six against Winnipeg, seeing that they won two of the last three against Dallas, that they won five and six against San Jose, and they won two of the last three against Boston, it would indicate that they wore teams they down. Wore, they did, yeah. yep. And they, they wore them down mentally um, and physically. By mentally, as you said, after a while, teams were saying, you know, in games five and six, when they're down by a goal or whatever, oh, my God, <laughs> there, there are three players around me every time I get the puck. Yeah. I think that's the mindset the opposition had. Uh-huh. In addition, a lot of guys were beat up, yep. especially in that San Jose series. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the way the Blues, especially that fourth line, um, Barbashev and Sunquist, and not so much Steen because he's not as physical a player, but those guys were relentless, mm-hmm. and they hammered and hammered the opponent's defense game after game after game, and it paid off. The Tarasenko look over the shoulder and then the pass and then the goal in the third period, I think made people go, Oh my God, this is really going to happen. Now you're still not, you're, you know, as a blues fan until there's zeros, you know, but when that happened and it's now three nothing, I think people are going, Oh my God, this is really going to happen. What yeah. are you, what are you at that moment? That's exactly what I thought, Tim. I had, after the second period, after I had, I had called the game on KMOX, I, Went to the other side where they had some seats for for Bernie Federico and Darren and I. And all the Blues extra players were over there, the guys that were not dressed. 
And when the Shen goal was scored, there were a lot of high fives. And as a matter of fact, all the all the players left after that. They went down to the locker room. Really? Because they they, I, they, 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 they knew they had to get dressed because they wanted to get dressed and go on the ice and celebrate with their teammates. So all the players left after the Shen goal. Uh-huh. And I, I knew in my heart it was over. Yeah. I think we all knew yeah. that Boston was like, no mas. Yeah, yeah. It's over. It really was like that. It really That's was exactly like that. how it felt. And then the Sanford goal was the uh, old proverbial knife through the eye, yeah. as Doug Armstrong might say. <laughs> Doug Armstrong right? said, exactly right. Uh, Bennington winds up, they get one, but still he has an incredible, I mean, an absurdly good game. They cut to the bench as time's ticking down, and these guys, the smiles on their faces, the gloves and the sticks go up in the air. Where are you? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you doing? What's going on? You know, I, I was, um, again, working post game for Fox Sports Midwest, but we knew the timeline, and the timeline was, we weren't coming on the air for at least 20 minutes. Because what NBC has the right to. Because we're not allowed to come yeah. on the air in the bowl. Now, they could have come on the air at, at Ballpark Village, mm-hmm. Scott Warman right. and, and Jamie, but we can't go on the air in the bowl until after NBC's off the air. Right. So I told I told our producer, Tim Pabst, um, who does a fantastic mm-hmm. job, I said, Tim, I'm not going down and lining up in the Zamboni area and not watching this. I want to see this with my own eyes. And so I stayed up in the press box to watch the final 10 seconds, to watch the gloves fly in the air and the sticks, and I wanted to watch Petrangelo lift the cup because I've been waiting for 52 years to watch a Blues captain lift the Stanley Cup. And I did that. And I stayed up there, and then after four or five guys skated around with the cup, then uh, Darren and I and Bernie made our way down to the – Zamboni area, and then we lined up to go on the ice to do our interviews. What do you remember about, I mean, it, your emotions? You're there with Panger. You're there with, I mean, Bernie Federico, yeah. a guy who's, you know, synonymous with the St. Louis Blues, especially for guys my age, you know, and grew up in the 1980s. I mean, what what was it like with those guys? Well, uh, again, Tim Paps, our producer, um, he was up there, and he, he it's on social media. He he did, on his iPhone, he he shot a video of, of the final 10 seconds, and, and we hugged and high-fived. And, um, you know, I'm not an emotional guy, and I didn't know how I'd react. And as it turns out, I didn't cry. Um, I didn't know if I would, but I didn't think I would. Um, but it, w- it was just, you know, aside from getting married and seeing three kids born, this was the greatest moment of my life, oh, period. Funny. And as you said, I worked for the Avalanche. And I saw that team win two cups in 96 and 01. Um, and no disrespect to that team or those moments, but it didn't compare. Right. Because I mean, there's, this there's was family. my team. Yeah. And, and, you know, the fans of the Blues and my family and my dad's tenure and my brother was an announcer here. Actually, my late uncle was a broadcaster. Four Kellys that broadcast Blues games. And to see our team win a cup like that live, was, again, one of the best moments of my life. And as, as much as you look back on it, you go, God, yeah, losing two in a row at home to Winnipeg and, in, in the you know, the, 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 the hell of Game 5 against Dallas and having to go through Game 7 and the hand-pass game and the fact that it went to 7, you didn't win. Sometimes it's the fact that you had the battles that makes the eventual victory even better. I mean, Game 6 of the Cardinals 2011 World Series isn't the same if Josh Hamilton doesn't hit home run in the 10th inning and makes the comeback have to happen. You have to have these moments. Right. If they just swept through or they won in five, it isn't as dramatic as it wound up being. Like we said, 26 of 28 possible games were played. Yeah. And, and I sort of felt that Game 7 against Dallas was almost the microcosm of that because I watched that game from the Fox suite and... From the midpoint of the third period until Maroon scored, I was literally an ass. I was just so miserable because <laughs> the thought of losing that game, I don't, I don't know. It, it was just so. It it was something that I did not want to see happen, and I was miserable. And then they scored and won, and it was one of the greatest moments oh, of. Yeah. of watching hockey in my life so <laughs> i i think that you know it, it was again a microcosm of the playoffs yeah. you, you you know it was so great and so awesome um but there were so many moments where they could have lost yeah. and they didn't lose so that's what makes the whole story just so remarkable and 
you know, if, if, if you were the most creative writer in the world, you could not have written this script. I, you just couldn't. Yeah. From opening day until the last game on June 12th, you couldn't come up with that script. New coach, new goalie, last place, cup winners, first time in 52 years. I want, I have to ask about the parade because I saw a video of you, uh, not only in the parade, of course, in, in, in the garden, drinking from the chalice yes. with the boys and getting the room. sprayed. <laughs> How great was that? That was, it was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're on one of the floats with your family. Yeah. My mom as well. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's that, that parade superseded, I think, what people could have expected. I remember Brett Hall doing an interview. He said, if we have a parade, it's going to be a parade for, you know, a week. And, you know, as it kind of turns out, he was right. Yeah. I mean, it's still going on. That parade it, was ridiculous. It was. Um, we actually lined up on, we were on a, a flatbed truck, mm-hmm. all the broadcasters and our families. It, w- it was really nice of the Blues to to allow us to do that. So we lined up on, on Brett Hall Street there, uh, mm-hmm. the street just south of of enterprise center and walking out of the building to, to to walk over to the floats there were thousands of people and then we went west on on brad hall way mm-hmm. and there were probably 20 people deep on the on that street that's not even the parade <laughs> and then we turned the corner i'm not sure what street that is right by union station yeah, yeah. and we head north uh-huh. the market uh-huh. and you're like Oh my God. <laughs> and, you know, I know you were there, Tim. Um, and you've seen the, we've all seen the video, but, you know, at, at certain points, they were 50, 60 deep. My God. It was just, it was way bigger than anything I imagined. And it was just an amazing experience. And then to get down to the stage area and, and the broadcasters were all, um, the co MCs up on the stage mm-hmm. and to see the cup come up and to look out. Um, now I know what the Pope feels like because <laughs> he, he talks to people like that, you know, at, at, at his Sunday mass, um, every week in Rome, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a perfect scene. I mean, it was. The, the, and you're under the arch yeah. and it was a beautiful day. It was perfect. You, you, you couldn't have written the better yeah. script. Final thought. Um, what this does for hockey. In this region now, I mean, I, I think my generation was a byproduct of Brett Hall, yeah. Um, and then what that led to with the alumni and the presence, and then you know the famous draft with all of the St. Louisans. I feel like right now there are people going, "Oh my God, I can't wait for hockey season to start." And a lot of people who otherwise would have never even been saying those words. And on top of it, you have a group of people, as is the case with probably, I, I would imagine, you don't have a whole lot of players you can name in your broadcasting career. Yeah, that guy was a real ass. I mean, most of the time, hockey players. I can count on one finger really? the amount of guys I can Really? Say. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Or, or one hand. One yeah. Hand. yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, i got to ask you who the guy is if you're going to go one guy, but no, I won't. One, one hand. <laughs> one hand. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. So now fans are aware, like, these guys, like, I think you're probably like, yeah, I wasn't surprised that they were all walking along and signing autographs and taking pictures and, you know, shaking hands and letting people touch the club. That didn't surprise people who are around the game. But now fans who might not have known that hockey players are about as down to earth as it gets with professional athletes in North America, they know the personalities and they can't wait for October when this thing starts up again. So the foundation has been built to have this become something that the 2019 team has turned this market into an even bigger hockey town than it already was, I think. Yeah, I, I've I've always felt this was a great hockey market. And, you know, they've had some tough times here. This team almost moved a couple of mm-hmm. times. And uh, they were last overall the year I came back in, in, in 05, 06. Um, some, some low points. But they, they've had some great players, some great teams. Um, until this year, I don't know why they, they didn't win because they really should have won before this year. But to answer your question, it's going to go to a level, uh, the interest in the blues, um, the interest in the game of hockey that we've never seen before in St. Louis. And it's already been really high. As you said, yeah. uh, you look back at the mid nineties in particular, uh, Oates and Hall and then Gretzky came along in 96. I mean, hockey was, was really hot here mm-hmm. in St. Louis and, it's going to go to a level that we've never seen. Uh, they're building, as we know, the new practice rink in Maryland Heights, four mm-hmm. sheets of ice. Um, they're going to have a hard time 
you know, getting ice time for, for, for boys and girls in this city in the, in, in the next, uh, whatever, five, 10 years, because it, it's going to, we're going to see growth and the popularity of the blues and the game of hockey like we've never seen. Well, it has been uh, awesome to relive it with you. I'm so happy that you and your family got to experience this and that you got to drink from the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, and, you know, the best part, you never asked me about this, was after after Game 7, um, the broadcasters were on the plane, and it was just the players and the staff and the coaches and the broadcasters. And that three-hour plane ride was the most incredible three-hour plane ride of my life. What was going on? It, well, it, it wasn't like Animal House. <laughs> I was about to say. But so my, it, my mind automatically goes no, to one place. No, but, you know, <laughs> honestly, um, the coaches are up front and, and, and the you right. know, ownership and, and Doug Armstrong. The broadcasters are behind the first-class area, and then the players are right behind There's us. There's that famous picture of Maroon holding the cup and, and O'Reilly with the con smile. Right, and, the, and that, that was literally... Right behind where we sit, oh, yeah. the, cu- the cup was there and the con Smythe. So for three hours, um, <laughs> it's right there, and you know we t- took some pictures, and that that was that was honestly oh. as 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 great a three hours of my life as as I've really? ever seen. Yep. Oh. The plane ride home was incredible. Oh. Oh. And then actually we went down to Enterprise. That the Blues arranged a a, uh, a party, and we were there till seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> I remember seeing video. Oh, like, yeah. I woke up the next morning. And, and I called and I'm like, my... they're live at the Enterprise Center in the Blues. And I go, what in the hell's going on? Yeah. I, no, I called my son and daughter, and I said, wake up. Come on down. And they drove down with me, and we the cup came in with all the players and some of the staff, and we had a party, and... Um, I left there at 7:30 in the morning. It was it was what a night. Oh, and well, those some of those guys kept going. I feel like for like well, the, the, then then, then the they cup, went to Ob Clark's. They went to Ob Clark's, and the players went to Ob Clark's. I know, but you know what? <laughs> I'm 58, crazy. Tim. I had to go home. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm sorry, guys... Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you for making it to 7:30. Exactly. I mean, that was an accomplishment there. This has been awesome, John. I always like talking with you, but this is the best to go through this. So happy for you and your family. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, anytime. There it is, John Kelly here on the Tim McKernan Show, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies as we broadcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I don't care how long it's been. It's kind of like what I had, and I still have, actually, with Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. Like, I'll click on the NHL Network just to see what's going on, and if they're showing a Blues playoff game, I, I flip it on. So to relive these moments... It's just that they have, they have this evergreen shelf life. I'm just always happy to listen and to get the perspective of a guy who called as many blues games as he's called and lived it as much as he's lived it, um, was just really, uh, just, it was an honor actually, as I said about a number of these interviews with these blues players, coaches, GM, Doug Armstrong, Bobby Plager, it just puts people in an instantaneous state of happiness camp just a couple weeks away. And that means the regular season's a little more than a month away. But um, it's a different thought process for me. And I guess it's a good thing for me because I just, you know, I knew that a lot of people around here loved regular season hockey, and I just couldn't care any less about it. When it gets down to it, I just couldn't. And I, and I still think, I, I still don't like that as many teams get into the playoffs as they do, but the the, the, the juice of the squeeze is the Stanley cup playoffs are the greatest thing going. So if it means a crappy regular season in my mind, crappy because it doesn't have the value of the postseason, uh, the value to the postseason, the postseason's so damn good. I'm it's, it's, it's fine. And in college basketball, you have one game, you can play those 30 some odd games and you get knocked out in one game, at least in hockey, you're going to have a best of seven. Um, and the intensity every other night. So, Whereas almost every year previously where the Blues would be playing hockey games in October, November, and I'd be like, oh, watch, I hope they win. They don't win, whatever. I'll be watching just from an enjoying standpoint. And I know when it gets down to it, whether they're the eight seed or the one seed, it's a crapshoot, but just get in. But I'll be watching, and I'll be watching and enjoying it, and I know. I've I've talked, God, this has come up so much over the last couple of months. The increase in interest in hockey in the area already and registrants this group of players, this organization has done something for this area that already had taken place, but it is it is laid a foundation uh, upon the foundation 
that uh, the Blues alumni had built, that you're going to see an explosion in, in St. Louis area hockey. It's going to be uh, huge. So um, to get John Kelly's perspective, uh, very grateful for his time. Love the passion, the enthusiasm, the satisfaction, the happiness in his voice. And, uh, and and thrilled that we could bring that to you here on the Tim McKernan Show. Thank you to Gangster Pete Niggy for producing. Thank you to our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com, Ryan Kelly, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, evergreenstl.com, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, online at carltoninsurance.net, Design Air Heating and Cooling, designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop train. And Johnny Londoff Chevrolet, online at londoff.com. Chevy, find your roads. Thank you for making it possible, and thank you for listening, please like the podcast, follow the podcast, follow us on social media at Tim McKernan show me at T McKernan, the TMA fan page, email in with feedback, guest suggestions, questions for questions from the audience, T McKernan at insidestl.com. Very grateful for your support and grateful for John Kelly for his time. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan show on the inside STL podcast network from the home loan studios.